Alan, thanks for being here with us tonight. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. You know what's so sad is that, well, of course, on Memorial Day, I guess it's just a, a cause for celebration. I don't know if people really stop to think of, or too many people stop to think what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But we're supposed to remember the brave soldiers who fought to preserve our freedom and our liberty. Our, our, our freedom, Alan. Uh, yeah, the agenda, yeah. Yeah, the agenda. Uh-huh. And that's sad. I, I know. I, I, when you have the Remembrance Day here uh, and everywhere else uh, in the, the Commonwealth countries, I look at all these old men with their uniform, well, they, they wear a blazer and, uh, and a little hat mm-hmm. and have all their medals on. And, and when they're spoken to, um, they have never really studied up on anything after the war. No. World War Two. No. And the same propaganda that were fed then, they will repeat it verbatim. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing to yeah. see uh, how it never changed with them. Yeah. They, they didn't realize they were bringing in the United Nations. And actually, the United Nations was already at work, wasn't it? Yeah, in fact, they had it on past newsreels during World War Two, and sometimes you'll see old reruns and stuff where they actually the narrator will actually call it the United Nations. Oh, they'd make a mistake, you mean? Not really. I mean, they, they signed that deal in, what, 1941? Uh, sometime or other, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing that I remember specifically, well, not then, of course, but in Major Jordan's diary, and it was he had, uh, Major Jordan had uh, had volunteered. He was a businessman. He was a World War One veteran, uh-huh. and he was assigned to United Nations Depot 84 or something like that at an airport in New Jersey, Allen. Uh-huh, yeah. And that was <laughs> before, that was during the war. Uh-huh. And that was where they did so many. That's where they sent so so much over to Russia or to the Soviet Union, I should say. Yeah, from the base and a lot. Right under the Lend-Lease Act. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, when you when you landed when you lent to Russia, it was like lending a cigarette to somebody. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, the Lend-Lease Act uh, was supposed to be lending to uh, Britain, I believe it was. Well, it is a deal with Stalin too, though. Yeah. But it wasn't known. The deal wasn't known. The deal with Stalin wasn't known. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and what's interesting too is there was a documentary on uh, some ship that was a high-tech ship, a private own, its own ship that was looking for ships sunk on the route from the U.S. to Britain uh, to, to Greenland, etc., all on the way to the Soviet Union. And what it was, it said that they were carrying bullion, uh, gold bullion, to, to the Soviet Union during World War Two, and some of them sank or, or were, were hit by subs, uh-huh. uh-huh. and they actually found one, and they did manage to get a lot of the gold up, and there was tons and tons and crates of the gold bars. Now, what was the Soviet Union doing with all this gold uh, when they didn't have <coughs> the gold within Russia? Right. You know, and uh, and on top of that, 
they sent the printing presses and the paper over uh -huh. uh, of the U.S. Treasury so that they could print and draw directly from the U.S. Treasury. Mm -hmm. <coughs> the printing presses and the paper. Uh -huh. And then there was all of the information for the bomb along with all of the materials necessary to build it. Well, I don't think they even had to sneak it in. I mean, uh, I used to wonder about this, the supposed um, threat of, of communism. Uh, and, and every book that you read, because uh, it was never taught in school, really, so you had to go into libraries to find out what communism was. And supposedly all these authorized historians were telling you that the, the, the Cold War was going to be fought with high technology and science. And Hoover had the, 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 the height of science would be the victor. And yet every year in Britain you'd read in the newspapers of the annual meeting where all the West top scientists were going over to Russia for their meeting. <laughs> So you would never allow your top scientists to go over to an enemy's camp. Right. Uh, if you depended upon those scientists, those scientists for secrecy, it's impossible. Right. So the whole thing was an utter farce. Yes, it was, but it was pretty scary to people. I it was people. Like it was scary to people that didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I got an email from someone in, in Texas who was talking about the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Alan, I was just thinking about that. Uh -huh. That was the same thing. Uh -huh. Go ahead, I'm sorry. And uh, he said he was at school then, he says, and, you know, they got all their inoculations, and they, they, then they, they were told, oh, my goodness, we might get nuked any time. And That's they practiced, right. They practiced drills of hiding under their tables in the school and all this kind of stuff. Uh, only to find out years later that the, the supposed missiles in Cuba were dummies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's all to do with terrorizing the exactly. public. Exactly. Yeah. And and I can recall that time, and and I can recall that throughout every day you were you were almost flinching, uh -huh. uh, expecting. Mm -hmm. uh, what they were saying was going to happen if the Soviet Union didn't back off. Yeah. It was a very, very frightening time. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we all heaved a sigh of relief when when it was over. When the wall came tumbling down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Just by magic, though. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the whole thing was just the, the, the antithesis, you know. And now we're going into the synthesis, and, and that was the whole... That's why it was set up in the first place. Yeah. They couldn't even feed themselves during the whole Cold War. You mean the Soviets? Yeah, I mean, right. Canada and the States used to put bids in every year. All the farmers, the biggest farmers, for grain shipments mm -hmm. to the Soviet Union. And in fact, their economy depended upon it. And they got uh, subsidies from governments and so on to do so. So, uh, no, they couldn't, they couldn't even make a good television set, you know. Well, yes. Uh -huh. I've got a book here by Cleon Skousen. It's called The Naked Communist. Uh -huh. And uh, basically, it, it, the evidence there abounds that if it hadn't been for all of the aid that came over from <laughs> the republic... Uh, it would have died its own death. Yes, it would have. Communism would have, the, the whole thing would have just collapsed. And, and right 
from the, the beginning, uh, uh, the West was heavily involved with different fundraisers, etc., and, and, and handing love with government uh, to, to keep the, the whole communist regime going, or Bolshevists, from the beginning. So, and, and he should send, uh, you know, ships over with food, uh, clothing, shoes, you name it. Mm-hmm. Big, big drive. I, I, I wonder how the people, the people were a little, they didn't know the, the whole story, of no. course. But I can remember when I was real little, there was a co-op grocery store uh-huh. uh, up on the highway near that housing project we lived in. Mm-hmm. And I can remember my dad say. They wouldn't even go in the store. It's a bunch of GD communists uh-huh. running the thing, and and you heard the word communist quite a bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we didn't get anything really in Britain. Occasional little blurb in the paper when you found out that your top uh, MI5 and MI6 guys were defecting to the Soviets until it became a boring routine. And that's when I caught on to the fact that they were all hand in glove with it, with each other. Mm-hmm. They were all one in the same company. Mm-hmm. And um, during the 60s, there was four guys defected, top uh, agents of Britain. Uh, Kim Philby was, I think, the last one. And um, he basically was put in charge of the KGB at one point. This guy from Britain. And, and again... You mean he defected... Uh to the Soviet Union? Yeah, they're on the trail, an MI5 uh, and MI6, they're on the trail of, they knew there was a bunch of, all this information was going right to Russia, right to the Soviets. And uh, eventually, as it came down on each one of these men over the period of a couple of years, somebody tipped them off from the top and they, they absconded off to, to the Soviet Union. And uh, the fifth man, the book, the book called The Fifth Man, they knew there was a fifth man there somewhere, and it was written about uh, Baron Rothschild, and, and he was claimed to be the fifth man. And, and he was one of the exceptions to the Rothschild family. Uh, he was a, a scientist during World War II, and after World War II, he was put in charge of the main security agencies of Britain to fight the Bolsheviks. And, uh, or, or the communists. And, uh, he was the only guy who could be tipping off these particular right, agents. Right, right. So a book came out about him years later, and it's called The Fifth Man. Now, who were the four other men? Oh, one was Blake. He came from, he was recruited from, they all had phony names. And, okay. Uh, and of course, the MI6 just couldn't find that out, eh? <laughs> right. But they'd all been trained at Cambridge University. That was the common denominator. And they were being trained. Cambridge was set up, basically, always to train the elite's offspring to run the system, the old empire. And uh, each one was being trained at the university, just like Lawrence Arabia. He was, he was picked as a young boy and sent there and trained in Aramaic, etc., so these guys were the same. They were trained in, in the, uh, the supposed espionage system, and then they went straight into MI5 or MI6. But um, yet Philby eventually um, ended up uh, as the head of the KGB for one, at one point. The, the guy who was MI5 and MI6. 
so it's ludicrous to think that we're separate and that's the conclusion you come to because the only people who knew that a raid was going to take place on any agent uh, was put in two boxes at the end of the night and delivered straight to their destination one of the boxes went to the Queen and the other one went to, to the head of, of MI6 now uh, what was the difference between MI5 and MI6 uh, MI5 is, is, is the five points of masonry <laughs> okay but uh, is there but, but it's, it's internal it's like the FBI are they two separate or uh, they're intertwined obviously uh, the FBI would be the equivalent of MI5 what does MI stand for oh it, it's it's, it's, there's about ten different explanations it's even harder to get it yet uh, what exactly it stands for there's, there's official ones and semi-official then the real ones and um, well give us one of them well you, you, you have the uh, you're going to master instructor and Masonic this and that institute oh. because everybody in it according to Peter Wright that belonged to it he wrote about it in fact he wrote about it and Thatcher brought him into court because he was given out uh, information that he didn't want disclosed and Peter Wright who was not a Mason uh, was into uh, it's very much like the James Bond thing where Miss Money, Money Penny gives you all your, your certificates, and certificates and so on and the, the woman who was in charge of this part says, you're, you're a mason, of course. And Peter Wright said, no. He said, well, you've got to be a mason. Everybody here is a mason. <laughs> and he wrote about that in his book. Wow. And um, in fact, Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher, eventually uh, brought him up to court because of his second book. But when he was, it was called The A to Z of Spy Catching. And they confiscated all the second books and uh, and pulped them. They pulped the whole lot of them. He was in the high court in England for that. So so you're saying in order to be uh, a, a MI5 or MI6, mm -hmm. they had to be uh, a Freemason? Yeah, that was, that was the rule. He was an exception because he was an electronics expert uh -huh. in specific areas and they needed him in the, in the organization. His father was a Mason. He used to tell you about that. Uh -huh. Um, but everybody in it was a mason and then you jump to Leon Trotsky and you read his memoirs and, and Trotsky talks about how he joined Freemasonry while in prison and he started to write books on masonry praising it and even when he was getting escorted out of Russia by the police he said, he said my escorts went through three different borders and countries by giving uh, Masonic signs to the guards uh, so everything is Freemasonry. I know I've, I've said this before. Uh, we're talking about MI5. It's on my mind, so I want I want I want to say this for maybe our newer listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, John Coleman. Oh yeah. He, he wrote the book. Um, oh, the, the, yeah, the Committee of Three Three Hundred. Uh -huh. And I want our listeners to know this. Um, First of all, I find that's interesting because then we would could presume that probably, at least, most probably, he's a high Freemason. Uh -huh. But in his book, uh, The Committee of Three, 300, I have the first edition of the book. Uh -huh. And in that book, he said uh, that he actually said that he had been with MI5 uh -huh. and that that's why he had access to as much information as he had mm -hmm. and he also said what you told us Alan is that in the elite core 
most every one of them are homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Okay? Effie came to visit and she brought me the book. Mm-hmm. But she had the third edition. <coughs> and I said, well, Effie, I already have it. And then I got to wondering, would there be any edits made since that book first came out? And sure enough, we sat down. I read aloud. She followed along. Just the introduction. And in the first edition, it was what I said there was. In hers, in the third edition, he didn't mention MI5. Uh-huh. He said because of the nature of his work, uh, that he had access to a lot of inside information. Yeah. And there was not a peep in there about the uh, sexual <laughs> preferences of the elite. Well, you know, the CP, I think it was the BBC maybe, uh, did a documentary on one of these defectors of the 60s. And that was... Um, uh, Philby, you know, mm-hmm. and this, it, sure enough, he'd been recruited again at Cambridge, I think it was. Uh, all of his buddies at the top there were homosexual. He was one too, and they displayed it fully in the in their documentary. Really, and uh, he was picked up, and, and he was doing the double agent thing, uh, working for MI6 and working for uh, the Soviets at the same time. And I think that was the deal at the top. Uh, to make sure that nothing did go wrong by somebody who wasn't in the know. It was to make sure that they were both equally informed at the top. That's the conclusion I came to. I, I, I lost that. Well, you see, the boys at the bottom have to believe everything's real as well. Right. And there you have all these different groups in their silos and nuclear bunkers and all this kind of stuff. And okay. doing drills, yada, yada, yada. Okay. And you've got to believe it's all real. So you have to have a, a group at the top that belong to both sides. Right. If you want to manage them both. It's the only way you could keep it all under wraps, you see. Yep. And that's what they, that's the conclusion I came to. And then when that book came out called The Fifth Man on Victor Rothschild, it really explains so much because even most of the defectors... Um, uh, that they, they were on the, the, the trail of while in Britain before they defected they'd all been lodgers in Victor Rothschild and his wife's house when they were students you know mm-hmm. so Victor Rothschild was, was uh, he was the guy that was passing all the, the, the high level information over to the Soviets and being a scientist himself uh, he was one of the main characters involved in the porting down LSD and bacterial experiments uh, that was his job. He was a scientist, first of all. It wasn't until much later he went back into the banking system. Hello? I'm here. I'm listening. Yeah, I can hear crackles. I think you were Oh, the crackles and the... Yeah, it's the storm. Uh-huh. No, I was just listening and uh, taking in what you're saying. Uh-huh. Uh, I would imagine that they're never very far away from the banking business. It's essential that the whole system of what they call civilization... And what we think is normality revolves around economics. And, and the banking system has always been paramount. And you can not, every prime minister has to go to the banker first, tap in hand, to make sure he's going to get all his loans. So that, that's really how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even uh, Karl Marx was given way too much acclaim because his name wasn't put on the Communist Manifesto for years later. Uh, Karl Marx said the same thing, that um, every system that's ever existed in civilization has been uh, has evolved around the economic system. 
Well, yes, it has. Yeah. When wasn't there one, Alan? Well, it's definitely pre-Sumer anyway, you know. Right. Uh, we know that, and, and, and probably pre-Hurian, uh, as they call them now, the people before Sumer. Because even they were known to be traders that traveled uh, vast areas. Where did the Hurians live? Uh, they covered the same area all the way from at least Egypt all the way to China. They were doing trading. And they're still unearthing uh, whole towns yet. Uh, an archaeology of this people that predated the Sumerians. So, uh, who knows? See, we're far, far older than we're being told. The human race is far, far older. Yes. And of course, it was Darwin that was brought up front to make us believe we're all scraping our knuckles along the jungle floor uh, not too long ago. And that was to throw us off the track that uh, the people have been around for maybe even millions of years yes. like this. Well, and then we have the rabbis, uh, Pharisees, I guess. Today they call them rabbis that claim to know the exact date and time. Mm-hmm. Now, Alan, even for somebody to say that sounds so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't it, it, before. Uh, there was creation, if you would. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they say that it was six thousand years ago. There was no date. There was no time. Yeah. And they say they know the exact day and date and time mm-hmm. that the world was created. Yeah, and the same thing happened in the Christians with Bishop Usher. Really? Yeah, he was a guy that tallied up all the generations and came to the conclusion, same conclusion about four and a half thousand BC. He, he, he brought up that. So, uh, and it's utter, utter rubbish, of course. Right. Because, I mean, you can go to Peru and see these ancient walls, etc., of, of uh, you know, Neolithic prehistoric cultures, and all over the planet, and for that matter, and, and it's, you're astounded at uh, the kind of building projects that went on, oh, maybe 10,000 BC, maybe 20,000 BC, maybe 50,000 BC. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we, there was Atlantis. Yeah, Atlantis, and... and uh, and, and no doubt many other... Lemuria. Yeah. Do you think that there is truth in the, l- the continent of Lemur- Lemuria? Not the way it's said today. I mean, there's no doubt there was huge land tracts off uh, South America that are under the ocean. That can be verified by uh, divers. And not just there. I mean, all over the planet, actually. Uh, you find these places. They even took um, shots of old ancient villages uh, in the, the English Channel and in the North Sea going all the way to Norway and they found uh, so when you say not the way it's talked up today what do you mean by that? well since this, the, the 1800s you had this big um, outpouring of books by high masons to create a new type of culture put in lots of mysticism and, and things that grab the imagination and uh, Weishaupt talked about it in his own writings they would do this and uh, it, it was almost um, a way of creating an interest in what we, we today would call the New Age. Well, um, are you saying that, in other words, that I believe that another name for it, they refer to it as the Land of Mu or something? Yeah, but they can give all these different uh, Yeah. You know. Well, uh, right, I, understand, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But allegedly that Lemuria went uh, under the ocean mm-hmm. before Atlantis even existed or did they do they say that they 
coexisted and then Lemuria went under and then Atlantis? I think if you took even the Sumerian tablets, you saw toss-ups between part, part myth, part history. Uh, it's all mixed together. Remember the ancients, too, they didn't really take the track of time and calendars as we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in ancient Egypt, um, you had the reigns of the pharaohs, and so a new era began with each pharaoh. So it wasn't like A.D. so-and-so or B.C., you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Um, it's very confusing, but we do know from the from the writings of even the Sumerians, uh, they did say that uh, at one time, according to their legends and their own mythologies, uh, great upheavals had happened on the earth, and the whole continents had sunk, right. uh, while new ones arose up out of the sea. So there was a big uh, tectonic uh, shaking up going on mm-hmm. at one point for sure. And then we do have the histories again of the, the, the Greeks and ancient Greeks who do talk about um, uh, Atlantis. Uh, well, the whole area in the Mediterranean uh, that today we have the remnants, including Terra, uh, where a massive volcano, you know, maybe, maybe hundreds and hundreds of miles of a landmass. Uh, just uh, and now we have these, these little disjointed islands on the perimeter. Right, well, you hold that thought. We have to take a break there. Uh-huh. And um, we'll be back right after this. Uh, but don't lose your train of thought, okay? Yes. Okay. Folks, we'll be back with Alan. Alan, I'll be just a couple of minutes. Stay with us. Okay, we're back, Alan. Yes. Uh, we were, you were talking about the... Um, Land masses. The I, I was going to ask you about that. If the Greeks had mm-hmm. any uh, tales about that? Yeah, they had records um, of, of uh, huge tidal waves coming in when when uh, that whole area went under water in, in the in the Mediterranean, basically, um, leaving the scattered islands in its wake, basically, which won the outskirts of it. Now, where is this? Uh, that's, uh, if you look up Terra, T-E-R-R-A, uh-huh. uh, that's the main island where they found all the frescoes of uh, this very wealthy uh, civilization that existed there at one time. Every bedroom that they found, and every every room in fact, had hand-painted frescoes from top to bottom. Uh, lots of work went into all these places. And they know that there were very big merchants as well. They probably ran the, the ancient system. So, and even the Egyptians had records of tidal waves uh, in other countries as well, about the same area. Is this um, uh, concurrent with what Emmanuel Velikovsky uh, wrote? Well, he was more on a global uh, catastrophe. Yeah, his was, wasn't it? Uh, and, and yet, sure enough, we've had deep impact with the big, huge meteors coming in, meteorites. Um, and the found craters in different parts of the planet, so, which could definitely have caused uh, certain phenomena across the whole planet. Uh, and you've also had the occasional uh, place sinking here and there at the same time, or later, or before, as it still happens today. Yeah. The volcanoes are always coming up, and other ones are going down in the sea. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we always forget that we're. Where we have a, an incredible uh, lava core here uh, that's always trying to get out. 
you you've always taken quite a lot of stock in Velikovsky's writings. Well, I mean, at least in the world was it worlds in upheaval, worlds in collision, worlds in collision. Yeah. I don't go with all his stuff. I mean, uh, he's still speculating to an extent as to what caused it. Um, was it a comet coming past? That's a possibility. Um, a comet close enough would definitely affect the gravity, uh, and even the spin or rotation of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge uh, meteor clusters would do the same. You'd have the burning parts falling across the sky. Um, and, and also you have to decipher the way that the Egyptians wrote about things because it's a highly uh, imaginative way of describing every catastrophe, even local, you know. And uh, it was a a natural form of almost bewailing uh, unfortunate events. They would go off into the extreme to describe them. But they did say that that it was so hot as these uh, burning parts fell from the sky that even some of the cattle were hit and went on fire, you know. So... All you can do is take it for what it's worth. We just don't know. Right. That is one of the books you recommended quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, there was was definitely good bits and pieces of history uh, wrapped up in there. Um, But again, the rest of it is is possible. I don't know what the rest of it is, though. See, that's the problem. There's so many different things he brings in there which may or may not have happened. And he was trying really to, to, to validate uh, a history of, of Israel in his books. Okay, well, you know, the other books that he wrote, I noticed that. Uh-huh. But in Worlds in Collision, mm-hmm. uh, I, the only thing I saw that, uh, that, well, that I re- recall was that he, he said that according to the rabbinical writings, uh-huh. uh, that when that happened, uh, especially it was referring to the time wh- when they said that the sun didn't shine for it was total darkness for three days uh-huh. and of course all this happened uh, according to, according to the Bible when all the, these curses that Jehovah was bringing down upon the Egyptians uh-huh. uh, the, the children uh, of Israel the chosen it didn't uh, occur to them it didn't happen to them, and according to Velikovsky in his book, the writings, the rabbinical writings, say that 49 out of 50 of them were killed, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't just the Israelites leaving that area; it was everybody because they were trying to find out where the heck yeah. they were, what direction the sun was coming up, etc. Yeah, and also as they were coming out, the so-called invaders were supposedly coming in. And uh, it's all terribly confusing. Uh, yeah. I, I think you mentioned a bit there, to be honest with you. I mean, the whole Bible, there's so much myth in the Bible. Right. That when you, and for instance, I mean, you know, the, the one with, uh, I think it's Isaac, who's supposed to uh, um, uh, talk to the Philistine king, you know, uh, who, who fancied his wife. And he told them he was his, he was, uh, that was his sister. Oh, you're not talking to, about Abraham, are you? Well, well, I think it could be, however, the fact... Abra- Abraham uh-huh. passed, uh, yeah. what was her name? Rachel. Rachel, yeah. well, no, not Abraham's wife. Yeah. Well, he passed her off as... That's right, and, and the thing is, it's all myth. All, right. It was pretty common in those days to those kind of stories out. 
and legends and myths and so on uh, because this thing of the Philistines um, did not speak I mean what language did they speak because uh, the Philistines were non-Semitic people they spoke a different language altogether so his wife's name I'm sorry his wife's name was Sarah Sarah yeah yeah that's right and uh so yeah, I mean, what language would he, would he even converse? In? Uh-huh. And then they found out that through the archaeologists, they're still digging things up all the time. That the Philistines uh, uh, didn't move in there till about 1200 BC, and and of course the story of, of, of the founder of this whole thing was supposed to be much much earlier. So it, it throws it all out the window. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, the, the thing I noticed. Uh, you had mentioned that it gave credence to the Bible stories, and it did. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it did. Yeah. As though, as though there really were a group of chosen people over there, and da 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 da. You know. Well, I, I think to be honest, when it comes to religion, everybody who's born into a culture or a group in common. I, I really do. You think what? That everyone born into a group or a, a, a religion, uh, regardless of what you're given, I think everyone's been had. Well, of course, Alan. And, and that's been a standard technique for many, many thousands of years. When you read about how the, 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 the Aryans went into India, and all this Aryan stuff is not Germanic, it's, it's, it's supposed to be the bunch who went into India that the Brahmins are now descended from. Um, it's well documented what they did there. They would study the local populations. Now, there were so many different tribes and different cultures within India and different languages. They studied them and they put out princes out, just like the feudal system of the Normans later on. And they studied those, the people and they, they, they made up a religion for that specific oh, people. Mm-hmm. And, and you wouldn't believe how accurately they, they understood the psychology of the people and they knew exactly what kind of religion to give the locals. To give them. That's fantastic. And then they had them all warring with each other down through the ages when it suited them. And this has been going on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you, t- uh, when you take a look at the so-called uh, re- Reformation, uh-huh. well, they, they, they brought all the lies <laughs> uh-huh. right down into the other religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had to keep it going. Uh, religion's been a great tool right up to the present time. And it's just a phenomenal to, to realize that even Blavatsky in the 1800s was sent out there to create the next religion, the New Age religion for the world, mm-hmm. to blend Christianity and Hinduism together uh, for the upcoming new century and new age. And then you watch it explode in the 60s and be pushed from the top down through music and movies and and novels and books and, and here it's, it's out there now and then Gorbachev writes his book to the, towards a new beginning you know in civilization uh, telling you that they're creating he says I am part of it he says and we are creating a new religion for the world and it must be based on earth worship and earlier on in the book he tells you that he's an atheist <laughs> so it's the same old deploy they're using over and over again it's fascinating to see them pull it off. They work in centuries. They plan centuries ahead. I think the overall plan uh-huh. was probably, you know, they came up with that a long time ago. I'm sure. And it seems to me that every hundred years or so, they sit down. I mean, according to some things, you know, that you read. Yeah. They sit down 
and they see how they're coming along. The evaluation. Uh, yes, and they plan for the next century. Yeah. And even when you, you, I look to the, the old communist system, if you look to the water supply and, and, the, and say that the, the sewage supply, uh, the road uh, interconnections between cities, each one was given a designated time period, so they had five-year plans for this, ten mm-hmm. before this, and even a hundred-year plans for other things. Mm-hmm. And then you see the exact same formula in the United Nations. The exact same formula is used in the United Nations. So the only way you can be certain of pulling it off is to alter the culture. You've got a hundred years or more to do it, so yes. it's quite easy to do it when you have all the money in the world. Yes. Yeah. And all the think tanks at your, at your disposal, uh, you can easily market ideas to the public. It's like George Bush Sr. said when he was talking about the New World Order in his first speech on, on September the 11th, of course, 1990, and then he repeated it on September the 11th, 1991. <clears throat> and he said, it's not just a, a, a new world order, it's a big idea. <laughs> and sure enough, they always export and market the ideas into our heads, our subconscious, mm-hmm. through, through advertising and magazines and, and movies. And that's how it's all done. It's uh, predictive programming. I was talking to somebody recently who said that anybody, anybody that believes that this is a... a a plan, you know, by man uh-huh. has got to be brain dead. Uh-huh. I said, "Oh, well, then I guess Alan was brain dead too." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, "Well, you know, he kind of backtracked a little, but uh, basically, what it was was, you know, a, 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 trying to confirm that the that that what's in the Bible uh-huh. was prophecy." And it was, uh, you know, the divine inspired word of God. Yeah, well, see, God is really playing chess with himself. Yeah. That's, he's got the black and the white there, you see, mm-hmm. uh, the chessboard. And he's, 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 he planned all that ahead of time, and he knows who's going to win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And, 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 and what I hear is from Christians uh, who are all sincere about it, because they're totally trained in this belief you see is Plato's cave it's all you know and so all your conclusions will come from that cave that's, that's how it works that's how Plato described it 2,300 years ago and here's God who's, who, who's planned everything ahead of time which is a, a predestination and which must mean too that God would also know who's going to get saved and who won't before they're even born you see which tends to make you think, well, it doesn't matter what I do, I'll yeah. do it anyway because it's, it's predicted that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, Alan. <laughs> and, exactly. and then he's going to bring all these famines and plagues and horrors and wars and atrocities upon you. And maybe, just maybe, if he's preordained you to live, you will live. Uh, and don't worry about all these horrible things because it's all, he's got it all under control anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the, the most amazing mind-bender you could ever imagine. Yes. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's Orwell's double think. God is good. He does nasty things and evil things, but he's good. Well, yes. Yeah. And of course, as the Masons knew, and they even wrote poems about it, as Jehovah, um, Jove, you know, by George. Yes. It's the same thing. Jehovah. And, and that's what they mean by ages. You see, the old age, the, the ancient age, 
the golden ages are always tongue-in-cheek referring to uh, was the time of Saturn and Saturn of course is the father of all the gods and the Greeks call him Kronos and the, 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 the Romans just call him Saturn uh-huh. and his offspring that took over his son the son of God took over for the next age that was the Christian age that was that was Jupiter uh-huh. which is also called Jove Jupiter, Jove and Jehovah that's right that's right so now we're going into the next age you see <clears throat> and that's the uh, the age of Aquarius so these are all ages written by a mystery religion behind all the religions yes. and guiding them all to the conclusion so so you can find uh, this all down through history we are manipulated by those that know we had a conversation about well what you and I were talking about last Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, because I was being told that you know we are going to go into this and they are going to nuke the cities and oh, yeah. and, and and we I, I tried to just suggest that uh-huh. you know if you don't have a crystal ball uh-huh. uh, for to say that it's definitely going to happen uh, and the power of the spoken word uh-huh. and um, basically he said just because I say something doesn't mean it's going to happen mm-hmm. and then he agreed with what I was saying and I said, well, then you obviously don't believe that you have that same power within you. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, I do. But just because I say what's going to happen doesn't mean I'm helping them bring their plan in. And when you look at how slick they are, Alan, yeah. knowing that themselves, I mean, the creatures, you know, who planned all this, yeah. they know it, as you said. Yeah. And uh, so they make the religions, and they get people actually praying yeah. for it to happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, you build up the stress enough, as I mentioned before in one of the programs, about uh, we talked about how, how they're all an institute of international affairs, and these big boys owned the newspapers in England, sat at a table deciding to terrify the British public that, and say that Hitler who just taken over Germany I was going to gas all the whole of Britain you know and for, that's for what they told the people they, they just every day it was terrors coming horrors coming death from the air <coughs> until the public breathed a sigh of relief when the war started because now something was actually happening and, and that's the same technique that's been used today uh, and all these, these fools that go around parroting the disinformation that's put out there to terrify them. This is the Pavlovian technique of, of shocking the dog, you see. Eventually the dog gets shocked in the corner, it gets shocked in the middle of the room, it gets shocked in the other side of the room. It doesn't know where they sit, it just sits in shape. Mm-hmm. And that's mental breakdown, that's yeah. easily controlled. And that's what they're doing to the public right now. And people should know better than to pass this nonsense around. Because if anything did happen, you're, you're not going to be told about it. What do you mean, Alan? They, they would just do it. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, like they did on September 11th. The public, like Francis Bacon said and John Dee, but Francis Bacon wrote about it on his advice to the king. It is best that the people never know the true motives of government. In other words, you keep everything secret. So the, the, the public are the last to be told any truth. Mm-hmm. So when all 
all this stuff is coming out, oh gee whiz, there's a nuke in a ship off, off uh, New York Harbor, and these idiots pass all this stuff around, and it never dawns where all this info is coming from. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the disinformation guys at the top that want you to be terrified, and want you to terrify others. Yeah. When you're terrified, you cannot think straight. Right. It's a simple uh, technique used for thousands of years. These are sciences. Yeah. Sciences. Wow. And here they are putting out the bird flu programs, the dot-you dramas, uh, to terrify the public that they just know the bird flu is going to get us all this fall. Well, if you recall, they said it was coming this spring. That's right. That's right. I did see one going overhead, and it was sneezing. A bird? It was sneezing. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, here it comes. Yep, definitely. But have they changed their story now? Oh, well, yeah, well now it's coming in the fall now. But it still has to make the jump between uh, animal to man and then man to man, you see. And out of all the thousand directions it could go, they just know it's going to take this one path. I, uh, sometimes do you just get feeling weary, Alan? Do you ever feel... I'll tell you what it is. Um, I get so many calls from people who have followed all the nonsense out there, including all the Anunnaki and the serpent people and everything else all wrapped into one. That to try and deprogram, and they're, they're nervous wrecks. Some of these people have been following the whole New Age movement for 30 odd years or more. They've been every guru, every group that they've paid money to, and, and they're totally burned out and totally confused. Do, do, do when you're talking with them, do you, uh, do you emphasize too, though, that there's a lot of truth in what they call, you know, the, the New Age movement. In other words, there's there's truth in there. There's I don't even go there with them. Well, and I'll tell you why. See, the, the parrot, it's like Lenin said. He says we shall win by slogans, the repetition of slogans. And when you're talking to try and deprogram people who've been right into mind control, you're going to hear the same slogans coming out of their mouth. As, as though they're all clones of each other the world over. Because all of these groups that they've been to, meditation schools, are all run by the same bunch at the top. And they just repeat their, their, their indoctrinations to you. So to, to deprogram you, you can't encourage them at the same time. You see? Maybe once you've deprogrammed them, you can go touch on, on something like that. But when you're trying to deprogram, and they phone you for help, you know. The phone dropped for help because some of them are, have been running this, this incredible roller coaster for 30 odd years or 40 years. Mm-hmm. And they've spent every penny uh, trying to, to get immortality. People should realize that immortality means I'm mortal. Huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. Think about it. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. And here's all these people. Well, when you say you. trying to get immortality, uh-huh. do they mean on this earth? Some of them do, yeah. Some of them are. In fact, that's the biggest fad that's been going through the New Age movement for years now. No, is that yeah, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's people who, who, who live in streets and cities and so on who truly believe that if they eat all the right stuff and do all the right exercises and, yep. and get the right chakras going, they can live forever. Isn't that a shame? 
that somebody would want to live in in this world forever, Alan. Well, it gives you a clue about the elite. Because <laughs> they're using science in the hope that they can do it for themselves. Yeah. And there you have people at the bottom that if, if they had the money, they would be, be doing the same things as the elite. Remember Steve Ames? Yeah. Well, just before he really kind of blew it, he had gotten uh, really going uh, into religion. Uh-huh. I mean, not becoming, quote, religious. Uh-huh. But he said... He said there had to be something uh-huh. uh, that 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 keeps people so brain dead. Yeah. And and we talked, and it was just before he went to prison. Uh, but he said, Jackie, he was telling me some of the stuff that he dug up, uh-huh. and he said, I'm going to say something, you're going to think I'm nuts. Uh-huh. But he said, I have a feeling that some of these creatures have been around here for hundreds of years. Uh-huh. And and he said, I mean it. I mean, you know, not coming back from another, you know, into another lifetime, yeah. but that they have maybe not attained immor- Im- immortality, uh-huh. I was going to say immorality, they have attained that, haven't they? That's right. But that he, he had a feeling that some of them have been around that long. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I know they have life extension, and, and even the Rosicrucians in their early books uh, and if you're lucky enough, you can get an original for a, a lot of bucks. Uh, what, what's that? The early Rosicrucian writing. Okay. And that was just a precursor. Uh, they brought in Freemasonry later on. Um, they did mention that those that worked towards this great work would be given superior med- medicine, etc., and, and a longer life. Uh-huh. But they did mention that at the beginning. Uh-huh. And the science is, as I say, there's at least three levels of this matrix here. We're on the bottom level. Uh, from professorship down, that's the bottom level of reality as far as the sciences go. And all the media and magazines out there is, is meant to reinforce the fact that you're on the cutting edge. And when you believe that lie, it never dawns on you that there's things way ahead of what to tell you. And we know, as I say, that Nick Bagich was showing that, that those mind control gizmos yes. the CIA had back in the 1950s, a whole table full of them, and they could fit into your pocket the size of a pack of cigarettes, and they had to be solid state before the world even heard the term solid state. Right. Um, and they could literally put thoughts right into your head. Uh, so that was the middle level. That's the middle level because the controllers never give even their highest weapons to, to their helpers. So that was the middle level of technology. Yeah, Simultaneously, Alan. you've got the, the BBC showing flying saucers coming out of Air Force hangars in right. 1951 and the 70s. I'm going to interrupt you here. We're out of time. Oh, yeah. Let, let our listeners know how they can find you. And oh, yeah. It's a... Uh, Punch in cuttingthroughthematrix.com and see the web points and uh, download lots of stuff for free. Yeah, and your videos. Yeah, and I'm working on one right now uh, that should help to keep uh, Jason funded. Oh, good. Master, and for the money for this next uh, video on the occult, we'll be going to him. Okay. Good. All right, well, thanks for being with us, Alan. Yes, of course. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Okay, and ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here.